Wordplay presents The Blind Spot, a short audio play based on a story by Saki. Saki was the pen name of early 20th century British writer Hector Hugh Monroe. Saki is best known for his witty stories, often with surprise endings. His witty stories, however, frequently have serious undertones. One such story is The Blind Spot, in which a woman finds the truth inconvenient and must choose between pleasure and justice. The actors in our production are Jeffrey DeSisto and Mary DeSisto. Father Matthew Powell directed the production and dramatized the story for audio. The play opens in the parlor of a home on Beacon Hill in Boston on a winter evening in the early 20th century. Albert has come to his cousin Cordelia's for dinner. Do have one of these delicious crab hors d'oeuvres, Cousin Albert. They're simply wonderful. Thank you, Cordelia. My cook, Sebastian, uses only the freshest crab meat. He goes down to the docks to buy the crabs directly from the fishing boats. Yes, they're good. You've just come back from your great Aunt Adelaide's funeral, haven't you, Albert? Quite a cold day for going to the cemetery, I must say. I had to toss an extra log in the fireplace. I suppose it was like most other funerals. Yes, Cousin Cordelia. I'll tell you about it over dinner. Oh, you'll do nothing of the sort. It wouldn't be respectful to your aunt's memory. Or to the dinner. We will begin, Albert, with a salad of Portuguese olives and hearts of palm, followed by a Russian beet borscht served with sour cream, and then a roasted partridge in an apricot glaze surrounded by asparagus tips. And, for dessert, a delicious chocolate Grand Marnier mousse, accompanied, I might add, with a rather enticing Rhine wine. And, of course, Sebastian's freshly baked croissants. And in honor of your visit, I will open the bottle of green chartreuse liqueur that Mrs. Lodge gave me. Now... There's absolutely nothing on that menu that harmonizes in the least with the subject of your great Aunt Adelaide or her funeral. She was a charming woman and quite as intelligent as she had any need to be. Somehow, though, she always reminded me of a New England boiled dinner. She used to say you were frivolous. I believe I once considerably scandalized her by declaring that a clear soup was a more important thing in life than a clear conscience. Like most people on your mother's side of the family, she had very little sense of proportion. How's your cocktail, Albert? Oh, just fine. My cook, Sebastian, puts just a dash of absinthe in them. Makes all the difference in the world. I must say, Cordelia, you take food very seriously. Of course, I can remember the menu of a meal long after I've forgotten the hostess who accompanied it. I met a man at a party once who said the best diet for us is grains and fruits and vegetables. Sadly, there really are such people. To think of all the wonderful things to eat in the world and then to go through life munching sawdust and being proud of it. They're like... The flagellants of the Middle Ages who went about beating themselves. They at least had some excuse. 
They did it to save their immortal souls. <laughs> you can't tell me that a person who doesn't love oysters and roast duck and French omelets and mascarpone cheese even has a soul. By the way, Adelaide made you her principal heir, didn't she? Yes, and executor as well. It's in that connection that I particularly want to speak to you. Oh, business is not my strong point at any time, and certainly not when we're on the threshold of such a delicious dinner. It's not exactly business. It's something more serious. Very serious. Oh, then we can't possibly speak about it. No one can talk seriously during a Russian beat borscht. A beautifully constructed soup like that, which you are going to experience presently, ought not to only banish conversation, but almost annihilate all thought. It's something that really shouldn't wait. When we arrive at dessert, I might be ready to discuss the latest novel, or, if you prefer, the political situation in uh, Luxembourg. But I absolutely decline to talk about anything approaching business until we have finished off that partridge. Oh, very well, Cordelia. Ah! The dinner bell. Wait until you see how beautifully Sebastian sets the table. a dinner that was. Are you warm enough, Albert? I'm fine, thank you. Oh, well, if you do get chilly, just pull your chair closer to the fireplace. I suppose if I didn't spend so much money on my cuisine, I could afford to install central heating in this drafty old house. Oh, though I do like a roaring fire in the fireplace on such a cold day. Oof. I shouldn't have had that second chocolate Grand Marnier mousse, but it was too delicious to resist. I don't know how you could stop at one, Albert. It was good, but very rich. Oh, and you didn't have any of the green chartreuse. No, two glasses of wine were enough for me. Oh, I do love chartreuse. People may say what they like about the decline of Christianity, but a religion that produced green chartreuse can never really die. Yes, well... As I told you before dinner, Cordelia, Aunt Adelaide made me her executor. There wasn't much to be done in the way of legal matters, but I had to go through her papers. That should be a fairly heavy task in itself. I should imagine that at her age there were reams of family letters. Oh, would you like an after-dinner chocolate mint? Sebastian makes them himself from an old Belgian recipe. You won't taste anything like them in this country. Mm. Mm. Delicious? No, thank you, Cordelia. Yes, there were stacks of letters, and most of them very uninteresting. There was one packet, however, which I thought might be worth a careful perusal. It was a bundle of correspondence from her brother, my great-uncle Peter, the rector of St. Michael's. Mm, ah, the clergyman of tragic memory. Exactly, of tragic memory, as you say. A tragedy that has... Never been understood. Oh, probably the simplest explanation was the correct one. He slipped on the stone steps and fractured his skull in falling. The medical evidence all went to prove that the blow on the head was struck by someone coming up behind him. A wound to the skull caused by violent contact with the steps could not possibly have been inflicted from that angle. Oh, you haven't touched your coffee, Albert. It's really wonderful. 
The secret, Sebastian tells me, is a dash of chicory and a little cognac. I'm not much for coffee in the evening. As I was saying, Cordelia, the police experimented with a dummy figure in every conceivable position. But the motive? No one had any interest in doing away with him. The number of people who kill octogenarian clergymen of the Episcopal Church for sheer amusement must be extremely limited. Of course, there are individuals of weak mental balance who do that sort of thing, but they seldom conceal their handiwork. They are generally more inclined to parade it about. His cook was under suspicion. Yes, I know he was. Simply because he was the only person on the premises of the vicarage at the time. But could anything be sillier than trying to fasten a charge of murder onto Sebastian? He had nothing to gain, in fact, a good deal to lose from the death of his employer. The good reverend was paying him excellent wages. Almost as much as I have paid him since I hired him as my cook. I have, by the way, since raised his salary in accordance with his real worth. But at the time, poor Sebastian was happy to have any job. People shied away from him, and he had no friends in this country. No. If anyone in the world was interested in the prolonged life and unimpaired digestion of the old minister, it would certainly be Sebastian. People don't always weigh the consequences of their rash acts. Otherwise, there would be very few murders committed. Sebastian is a man of hot temper, I believe. He is a Southern European. To be geographically correct, I believe he hails from the French slopes of the Pyrenees. I took that into consideration when he nearly killed the grocer last month for delivering the wrong kind of parsley. One must always make allowances for origin and locality. My motto is... Tell me your longitude, and I'll know how much latitude to allow you. <laughs> there, you see. He nearly killed the grocer. My dear Albert, between nearly killing a grocer and actually killing an Episcopal priest, there is a wide difference. No doubt you may have felt a temporary desire to kill a grocer, but you have never given way to it. I respect you for your self-control. Please don't be flippant, Cordelia. This is serious. Albert! As far as anyone knows, there had never been any quarrel or disagreement between the two men. The testimony at the inquest brought that out very clearly. Ah, that is precisely what I want to speak to you about. This is one of Uncle Peter's numerous letters to Aunt Adelaide, written a few days before his death. Her memory was already failing when she received it, and I suspect she forgot the contents as soon as she had read it. Otherwise, in light of what had subsequently happened, she would have said something about the letter. If it had been produced at the inquest, I believe it would have made a difference in the course of things. The testimony that was given, as you remarked just now, eliminated any suspicion of Sebastian by disclosing the complete absence of anything that could be considered a motive or provocation for a crime. Let me read it to you. Oh, read the letter if you must. I need another chocolate and mint. Yeah, it's a long, rambling affair, like most of his letters in his later years. I'll read the part that bears immediately on the mystery. It says, I very much fear I shall have to get rid of Sebastian. 
He cooks superbly, but he has the temper of a fiend, and I am in bodily fear of him. We had a dispute the other day as to the correct dinner to be served on Ash Wednesday. I pointed out to him that Ash Wednesday begins Lent, and on the church calendar is a day of both fast and abstinence, and consequently Beef Wellington was totally unacceptable. He disputed with me and insisted on having total control of the menu— I grew so irritated and annoyed at his conceit and obstinacy that finally I threw a cup of tea in his face and called him a stubborn fool. The tea was at room temperature, and there was very little of it left in the cup, but I have never seen a human being go into such a rage. I apologized later for my rude behavior, but I insisted on my control of the menu. His handwriting is a little hard to read here. Oh, yes. I hoped the matter would blow over, but on several occasions I caught him scowling and muttering in a highly unpleasant fashion. Lately I have suspected that he is dogging my footsteps about the grounds, particularly when I am walking in the garden. I dare say the danger may be imaginary, but I will feel more at ease when Sebastian is gone. Cordelia... It was on the stone steps in the garden of St. Michael's that the body was found. If a lack of motive was the only factor that saved Sebastian from prosecution, I suspect this letter will put a different complexion on the matter. Hmm. Have you shown this letter to anyone else? No, I thought I should tell you about it first. You may not want him in the house another night. I'm glad you came to me first. Let me take a look at the letter. Here you are. Let me get closer to the fireplace to get better light. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, yes. I'm afraid this does look rather bad for Sebastian. Cordelia, what in God's name? What in God's name? You've thrown that letter into the fire? Do you realize what you've done? Do you realize what you've done? Why in the world did you do that? That letter was the one piece of evidence to connect Sebastian to the murder. Yes, I realize that. That is why I threw it into the fire. But why? Why? Why would you burn the only evidence? Why would you want to shield Sebastian? The man is a common murderer. A common murderer, perhaps. But a very uncommon cook. (laughs) 